Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. It's been a week of confusion around the president's health. Absentee is okay because absentee ballots. He sounds sounds congested. Around the future of a stimulus package. White House whiplash. Just hours after calling off stimulus talks, President Trump said he wants Congress back at the bargaining table. And around who was supposed to be talking. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. But there was clarity about the desperate state of the city's finances. Our moment of reckoning is right now. I'm Justin Kaufman, and we're taking you inside those stories and more on WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Joining us this week around the virtual table, Paris Schutz of WTTW. Justin, great to be reunited with you. Yes, of course. And Better Government Association President David Grising. David, welcome back. Hello, Justin. Paris, one week ago, the helicopter was leaving the White House for Walter Reed. Now the president has declared himself cured, but there seems to be unanswered questions about his health. There are, Justin, and um, you know, he's on the, the Rush Limbaugh show right now on talk radio saying that he didn't even think he was going to make it without this drug, this anticlonal or monoclonal or whatever it is, antibody from Regeneron that then he went on and pitched uh, like a pitch man in a video that he made. So that's news, I mean, because the White House tried to play down how ill he was, and now Trump himself saying, well, he might have been a goner, uh, that he was seriously ill, if if not for this emergency use medication that he got. So I know that Washington reporters have been really frustrated. A, they can't find out when he last tested negative, so when, you know, the COVID actually showed up in his system, it, it might have been when he debated Joe Biden. And they can't get a straight answer on what his health is because the president himself says completely conflicting things. One thing that has come to light is just the utter indifference of people in the Trump administration to the safety protocols that all of the health officials, both in Washington as well as locally here in Chicago, are telling us. Wear masks, keep distance, etc. Not only was that there that big event on the lawn, but that everybody repaired inside for private meetings in which the photographs make it look like a... Uh, a New Year's Eve party back from pre-COVID days, uh, people very close together. These things kind of are just disorienting these days when you see people standing that close together, especially in light of the fact that some of them you know, were t- positive for the disease. So um, what we need to know, though, is when did the president last test negative? Uh, because that question that, that Paris raised of did he put his contender for the presidency, Joe Biden, at risk? By going to that debate. And not to mention, Paris, the fact that this country right now really is is leaning on personal responsibility. And when you have a leader, the leader of the free world, the the president of the United States, who isn't taking that personal responsibility, is there any sort of uh, consequence falling out for personal responsibility? Well, a few things. There could be political consequences. You saw Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell 
kind of excoriate the White House for their lack of COVID safety protocols, saying, hey, I did things differently. I wore a mask and I followed protocols. I didn't even go to the White House because I didn't like what they were doing over there. You have uh, Senator Don Cornyn in Texas in a reelection battle who also said the president got over his skis. It's dragged uh, a lot of Republican Senate candidates down. You have competitive races where they never thought there'd be competitive races. So those are the political consequences, but what about the national security consequences? He said some really nonsensical things by any objective standard about water going out into the ocean in California to feed the fishes or something like that. And so, you know, uh, obviously House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has raised questions about uh, his mental capacity on that steroid, but that's the point. We don't know. Right, we don't know. And, and that's what's dangerous. And right now there's a lot on the line. The stimulus package uh, has been caught up in in all of what Paris was just talking about, David. We're not sure what's happening and, and, and whether uh, they're actually moving forward with uh, any sort of negotiations over a stimulus package that could help the American people, or if they're not, or if the president is uh, negotiating through Twitter, if he's even involved at all. I mean, there's, there's so much still on the line that comes with the day-to-day duties of trying to get this country on track with COVID. Right, and, and that's what gets lost in all this, is how much is online for people? You know, will there be another round of $1,200 stimulus checks that you would think that the president might want to have happen since he put his name on those checks and they're kind of referred to as being Trump checks. The big fight is between the size of the bailout, whether this is a just a bailout for the airlines or for a broader segment of the of industry, and to what extent small businesses are helped. That's what Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin are wrestling over as they negotiate this. It looks like it won't get done before Election Day, which is just amazing because both sides, you would think, would want to be able to say to people as they go to the polls, hey, we're, help is on the way, and it's looking like that may not happen. Closer to home, Mary Lori Lightfoot says Chicago's facing a moment of reckoning over the budget gap, and she's personally wrestling with the realities. I want to hear, play a clip of that. I feel every single one of those painful choices. They keep me up at night. They are in my thoughts all day long. And so, yeah, we're going to have to make some very tough decisions. Um, and we're going to do it, as always, with equity and inclusion as our North Star. I'm pushing my team to analyze every conceivable way so we understand the potential impacts on people's lives. Paris, the city's facing, what, a projected $1.2 billion deficit for 2020 or 2021, but that's on top of the 800 mil for current fiscal year. How does the mayor move forward without federal relief? Obviously, the city of Chicago is desperate for some stimulus relief. So is the state of Illinois. They passed a budget that, that assumes that they're going to get something like $5 billion in either relief or short-term borrowing. Without that, it's catastrophic, Justin. I mean, it was catastrophic in good economic times because of the pension right, situation. Right, right. And now, consider what our options are for $1.2 billion. All you can do is borrow, cut, you know, lay off a lot of people. But you got all this police overtime you're paying right now and raise taxes. You're going to have to raise taxes. And that's obviously really controversial. And property taxes is the biggest way you can go to. So to put that into context, you know, Rahm Emanuel raised under $600 million in, in, in property taxes over a four-year period, and that was considered like the heaviest lift yeah, ever. largest in, in Chicago, right. The largest right. property tax hike ever. We're talking about a $1.2 billion deficit for next year alone. I mean, that was $600 million over four years, and that was hard to do. What, what taxes are you going to raise to cover this? 
gap. She's talking about job cuts across the 33,000 employees in the city. That can save her around $200 million on her current budgeting. That leaves another billion-dollar hole to fill. So if money doesn't come in from the feds, and you can only raise property taxes so much, and as Paris points out, it takes years to implement that and to really feel the benefit of that, she's looking at some near-term problems that are almost beyond imagining. And that's when, when you hear that emotion in her voice, it's not only about the equity issues and the other things she's dealing with. It has to be out of sheer frustration over an inability to solve what looks to be a really intractable problem. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect millions of people. You know, health experts uh, believe that the cases are going back up, and we could have a horrible winter. And does that mean more restaurant closures and business shutdowns and another slowdown of the economy? In addition to this intractable budget problem, this is a perfect storm here. And we're not even talking about the moratorium on evictions. What if that moratorium goes away and now you have people that get kicked out of their houses? We're in for a possible winter of our discontent here, and the federal government is really the only backstop to blunt what the problems are going to be. I think the big story this week, too, is President Trump saying he wouldn't participate in the second presidential debate if it was virtual. David, his campaign released a statement saying that he's been medically cleared to face Joe Biden in person. What do you make of that? I mean, if you're in the Biden campaign, you're, you're, you, you can say this is going to be virtual. Well, first of all, we don't have great reason to trust the doctors that are making that decision. They appear to be under incredible pressure from the president. And secondly, uh, Joe Biden being in his mid, mid to late, his late 70s, uh, he has to be careful by any measure. And there's nothing else in the medical literature that indicates the person who had was positive for COVID was being treated aggressively for significant COVID a week and a half later ought to be going into a room with anybody, much less potentially the next president of the United States. So I certainly understand why the vice president's team is saying not in a million years. Uh, the real question on the politics of it is that who needs this debate more, Joe Biden or, or, or Donald Trump? President Trump needs this debate more. If you believe any of the polls, they all indicate that he's trailing. He needs to change the equation in this campaign. And a, a key way of potentially doing that is in a debate. So it's not surprising that Vice President Biden's team is just kind of standing back, saying if there's no debate, no problem, and thinking eventually Trump may have to concede and do it virtually. That's David Grising with the Better Government Association. And WTTW's Paris Schutz is also with us for the weekly news roundup. Let's shift gears and talk about some other big stories like these. Illinois is tallying one of its highest daily COVID-19 case counts since mid-May. State public health officials report more than 3,000 cases over the last day and that 32 more people have died. The House special investigation into Speaker Michael Madigan is now officially on hold. This is the most important ballot question in Illinois in 50 years. It's a question about changing the Illinois Constitution and the way the state collects income taxes. This is a costly fight. Governor Pritzker has donated $55 million of his personal fortune to support the measure. Billionaire Ken Griffin has countered with $46 million to oppose it. Okay, that's a lot of money. But we'll talk about that in a minute. First, yesterday, Illinois announced just over 3,000 new COVID cases and 32 additional deaths. And that's only the fifth time we've had more than 3,000 cases in any day since the pandemic began. Paris, I ask you, is there any connection between these numbers and the fact that Chicago recently loosened restrictions on bars and restaurants? I don't know, Justin. You know, the important number to look at is the uh, positivity rate, the seven-day positivity rate, which is at 3.7 percent. 
of positive tests. That's it picked up from 3.5 percent. So that means you know there were 3,000 cases, but there were tens of thousands of people that got tested. So I think what the city officials are looking at is that positivity rate and then the rate of uh, hospital bed availability, which mm-hmm. is still pretty good here in Chicago. And so I think it's too soon to to make the connection between because right. the you know the loosened restrictions just went into place last week, but if this keep goes going up, what is going to happen to restaurants and bars? Are they going to have to shut down again, and can they even survive that? Yeah. In Wisconsin, especially because there's the population along that border, there's a lot of people who cross back and forth across that border to go to work, et cetera. Harris just talked about the 3.7% positivity index in Illinois. In Wisconsin, it's 9% and rising. That is the big concern. Yeah, there there are 84% of hospital beds are currently being used. So there's not a lot of capacity to put people into beds. If you've been up there, I've been up there a couple times this year, this summer. It's just a different world. People aren't wearing masks. People are skeptical of masks. They've been encouraged by a lot of their politicians to ignore uh, the potential benefits of social distancing and such. And the Supreme Court of the state has not stood behind the governor when he has tried to impose limitations on what people can do. So there's a political battle going up in that state, and as a result, uh, it's creating really, in some ways, not only a danger to its own citizen, but a clear and present danger for people uh, in northern Illinois. Uh, let's turn to uh, another story that uh, has uh, a lot to do with uh, the economy. Democrats and Republicans in uh, Illinois are fighting over Governor Pritzker's graduated income tax proposal. Paris, there's a lawsuit over the ballot language. Uh, there's right. also questions about uh, retirees this week as state treasurer Mike Frerichs and, and the governor seem to to be in contrast talking about whether or not they're going to be taxing uh, retiree income. Where are we with this story? Well, this is turning into a huge battle, Justin, and I don't know if the, the pro, quote-unquote, fair tax forces believe that they're going to have the 60% voting on that question that it needs to pass. And this lawsuit is basically saying that uh, the language of the amendment is misleading and those voters don't know exactly what they're voting on. But the timing here is pretty suspect because the ballots are already out and tens of thousands of people have already voted. So what are you going to do, like just invalidate their vote? Yeah, the issue you brought up here is the uh, anti-fair tax people are honing in on senior citizens with this false claim that voters are going to go to the polls to vote to institute a retirement tax, which is not true. But then what they're saying is, well, you, you're going to enable lawmakers to uh, tax retirement income. That's also not true. They can do that right now, whether there's a flat tax or graduated tax. They're seizing upon comments that the treasurer made saying, in, in essence, that it would be politically easier if lawmakers down the road wanted to institute a tax on retirement because it'd be a graduated tax and they could decide not mm-hmm. to tax lower income but then tax higher income. Uh, retirement earners, uh, and they're seizing on that to say, see, you're giving lawmakers yeah. the power to tax retirement. And I've got letters from senior citizens confused saying, can you please tell me whether or not I'm voting to put a tax on my retirement income? So this campaign has sort of worked to confuse voters. I mean, that's really what it is, David. I mean, we, we've seen uh, mass confusion here, and that seems to be, as you mentioned, Paris, the, the goal of the uh, of the forces that are anti on this tax. Over $100 million dollars into the fight over this tax, just in ads and marketing and all that kind of stuff. $100 million, David. It speaks to two things. It speaks to the importance of the issue. It also speaks to the fact that Griffin put that money in very recently. It speaks to the fact that this is really up in the air. 
This looked to be sort of a lead pipe since for Governor Pritzker when he first launched it. You know, when people said it was going to be a close vote, it just didn't seem to make sense because any tax proposal that benefits 97% of people because their taxes remain the same or go lower and costs only 3% of the people you would think would be simple. But some of these issues that have been raised uh, have caused people to kind of take a second look at it. And the big issue for a lot of people is, do you trust this government or do you not trust this government? Mm. Because if you trust the government, then maybe you believe the Pritzker argument that only the top 3% will pay more. If you don't trust the government, you buy into the anti-argument saying, you know what, within a year or two, everybody's going to get taxed more. Middle income earners will get taxed more. And that's with a broader whole issue with regard to corruption in Illinois and all kinds of other reasons that residents have to not trust this government. And that's one of the reasons that this proposal is really a, a coin flip at this point heading into the November 3rd election. I, I want to talk about pensions, a good way to, to transition, Paris. The Chicago Teachers Pension Fund, uh, the board president there, says he was pressured to hire lobbyists close to Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. Didn't get a lot of uh, oxygen this week, but uh, this is just another situation that we're seeing how Illinois politics are at play. It's an amazing story, Justin. So you have the head of the Chicago Teachers Retirement Fund, the board that controls the retirement investments for Chicago public school teachers basically saying in a meeting that there was this pressure campaign from whoever to hire a bunch of Madigan people onto this pension board, and there was sexism and there was racism, and he's forwarded all these complaints to different investigative authorities. This echoes what the feds are looking at with respect to Madigan and ComEd, that ComEd hired a bunch of Madigan folks in return for favorable legislation, and it also echoes the kind of corruption that Illinois has seen forever. So if the U.S. Attorney John Lausch didn't know about this before, yeah, when this right. came out and it was first revealed, I think, in the Capital Facts blog, I'm sure his ears perked up. Right. David, I mean, just the, the burner underneath Mike Madigan get a little hotter? Well, he's trying to keep it as cool as he possibly can by refusing to testify and by watching uh, his designee, Chris Welch, a political crony of his, the chair of this uh, investigative committee, basically stand in the way of anything productive happening. When Minority Leader Jim Durkin first floated the idea of doing this investigation, Madigan sent back, shot back by saying this was a political stunt. Well, the political gamesmanship is going on really more on the Democratic side, where Welch is delaying things until after the election, where he so far is standing in the way of subpoenaing witnesses, including Mike Madigan. Even the governor of Illinois has said Madigan needs to testify, and yet members of his own party are standing in the way of that. So yeah. it, it is a mess. Madigan is doing whatever he can to avoid having to answer questions. And I think voters across the state have every right to hear from this speaker about the charges against him and about what role, if any, he played in the corruption scheme that Commonwealth Edison has admitted it participated in. I want to change to a story. I didn't necessarily have this one on the list in Paris, but I know you can handle it. The, uh, the, sure. the Second City being sold. You know, when I think about Marshall Fields, WGN, now Second City, the idea that it might not be owned by a Chicago company. Uh, news today coming out as well that I.O., Sharna Halperin, who had closed up shop and was uh, looking to sell, has announced she is selling as well, the I.O. So I.O. and Second City put both uh, the icons, I mean, pillars of the Chicago improv community what does that mean for Chicago comedy and, and, and what arguably is the biggest comedy scene in the country? I took a course at Second City years ago, and I didn't go into comedy, but it certainly helped me as a communicator at WTTW. Yeah, I mean, it's like we're losing these iconic brands. You can only hope that whoever buys this 
believes in the mission, it's just so important to the cultural life of the city and the country. I mean, consider what came out of Second City in I.O. and how it's impacted culture in the country. Yeah, absolutely. David, from a business standpoint, uh, Second City has has been an economic uh, generator. Right, absolutely. Although what we're learning now in some of this, when uh, Shana Halperin a few months ago talked about the fact that she was shutting down I.O., uh, at least temporarily, she was losing money on I.O. for some months and maybe even years beforehand. So sometimes these things look healthier than they actually are. But you're right about, and in Paris too, about what's at stake here for the city of Chicago. These are iconic uh, institutions, not just here in Chicago, but across the country. And if either one of them shuts down permanently, it is a huge loss. And what I want to know is, what would Alderman Ed Buss do to try to prevent this from happening? <laughs> he would, yeah, exactly. He would. He would. There'd be no sale. That would be. The, that would be the joke. Uh, what do you, What are you guys looking forward to as this week is coming up? It's so hard. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say here. But Paris and, and quickly, what are you, What are you looking forward to for the next week? I know that uh, that we're going to have some candidate uh, forums on uh, WTTW next week we're featuring uh, one of the third congressional district southwest side it's a very close race it wasn't expected to be a close race so i guess i'm looking forward to how some of these uh, political races uh, are going to shake down uh, down the wire here yeah. david it's not next week but soon after that mayor lightfoot's budget address is due and the work that is going ahead of that i want i'm looking forward to hearing more about how she plans to fill that hole the other big one we didn't talk about on this was Governor Pritzker's seven-point criminal justice reform plan mm. and whether that really, how that plays out in the community as it gets more discussion. Yeah. So those are two things I'm keeping my eye on. All right. Well, that's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WTTW political correspondent and host of Chicago Tonight, Paris Schutz, and Better Government Association President David Grising. Paris, David, thanks so much for your time today. Great job. All Thank right, you, thanks, Justin. And that's the Weekly News Roundup. Thanks for downloading us this week. For more great conversations around the important stories happening in and around Chicago, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast right here. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening to the Roundup from WBEZ Chicago. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.